Okay, let's get back into Mark. And we will pick up today at Mark. I will be reading chapter 1, verses 29 through 45. And as we've mentioned so many times before, this is a particular gospel that uh, impresses us most as we read big sections of it. Before I read that, though, the setting here is, as you know, chapter 1 is very fast-paced. Boom, boom, boom. Lots of things are happening. Within one or two verses, lots of things happen. Demons are cast out. Jesus is baptized. And really, looking at verses 16 through 28, just those 12 verses, a few weeks ago I said, you have this picture of this eruption of what the gospel can do to people. And I just want to review. There were six things that we counted out that the gospel does just in those uh, six verses. So if you just sort of back up to verse 16 and just sort of look at that as I go through these. The first characteristic of the gospel was a, it is uh, powerful to call people to Christ. right? So Jesus walks along the sea and he just calls Peter, he calls John, he calls Andrew. So the first thing, he calls people to him. The gospel also is used to disciple and train and challenge men, make these fishermen fishers of men. So he calls people, he makes them disciples. The gospel in Jesus' ministry is authoritative teaching, unlike the scribes. Remember, they commented that the scribes were not authoritative. Jesus' teaching was, and they were amazed by it. Uh, Jesus' ministry, if you look at verse 23 through 25, demonstrates he's the ruler of the spiritual world. It's the first miracle he performs in Mark is uh, casting out the demon, the unclean spirit. Down to verse 27, he talks about the people's reaction. The gospel will provoke an amazing reaction to people. When people hear it, they are amazed. What is this? A new teaching with authority. So the teaching of the gospel in Jesus is unambiguous. It's, it's very clearly, uniquely of God. The gospel spreads everywhere. Verse 28, immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. So just in those uh, 12 verses, you see just a lot of elements of the gospel. And Mark, again, is intentionally doing this. His pace and his cadence and is to show us an explosion has happened when Jesus came to earth. We'll look at a couple other benefits of the gospel and Jesus' teaching in these next few verses, and I think right now I'll read those for us. Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 45. You can follow along. And as I read it, you can pay attention to the different characters that come into play, the setting of where they are, how many people are involved, and the nature of the people that are present. You have a leper, you have the scribes, you have the disciples, um, the time of day. It's just all these details are put there intentionally by Mark to uh, give us some impressions and truth about the power of Christ. So let's read those, verse 29 through 45. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue... They came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So they are in Capernaum now. So in the synagogue at Capernaum. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand. And the fever left her, and she waited on them. When the evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. 
and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed, and he sternly warned him, and immediately sent him away, and he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. Okay, so... His healings continue, backing up to the verse 29, and they're abundant. And the first thing he does when he comes out of the synagogue is he goes into Peter's house. So this just confirms Peter was married, and he had a mother, or, or he had a mother-in-law, and they were living together. And it's not clear, maybe she was a widow, why Andrew was also living there, but in any event, they all seems like they lived in the same house together. James and John were there also. Mark's the only gospel that mentions all four of these people here. But you can already see in Mark's account this um, closeness they have, the fellowship among the disciples and Jesus. They're traveling together and going to her house, and he immediately heals her. So a point about her healing is uh, he, she's fixed like that. Like almost all Jesus' miracles are that way. That's one of the uh, signs that it is a miracle. They're healed like that. Uh, instantly and you know we sang a song today sing to the gentle healing hands uh, it's just the image you have here it's, it's really poignant to me where she's there and he it says uh, he came to her and raised her up and taking her by the hand so this is a real nice image of the um, mercy of God and the tenderness of the Lord and that he just a lot of his physical healings by the way are touching you will see him physically touching people when he physically heals them when he casts out the demons, never. It's always a verbal. I'm not sure what that means, but it, it's, you'll see it when you read through it. So uh, a lot of his physical healings, uh, he touched them. And raised her up, and then Mark points out the fever left her, and she waited on them. So you see that in the other Gospels too, but to me I see the uh, servant nature of Peter's mother. It was her home, and that was sort of her job to wait on the guests that were there. But she was uh, didn't have any ill effects from that uh, high fever. And Luke's account says it was a very high fever. So it sounds like she was like really, really sick, and then instantly she's perfectly well, and is able to just get up and wait on the people in their house. And there's a little parallel with this healing. And then the casting out of the demon in the synagogue, in that, you'll see as this par uh, chapter develops, now the synagogue is a building, 
sort of a contained audience there in that building. And the first healing, the first miracle was the demon being cast out. All right. The second miracle is in a house, limited audience, and she's physically healed. You'll see as this chapter develops, the audience and the setting becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, and it spreads rapidly. And again, that's the impression Mark is showing us, how it starts out little, and it's rapidly expanding. So there's some parallel, in a way, between the synagogue where the people were and Peter's house where he performed that second miracle. Any other thoughts or observations on uh, Simon's mother-in-law? She is whole, completely whole. And it makes you think of the spiritual metaphor too, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to put too much into this, but that is also true. When we're saved, we are born again. It's a new life. It's not like we're partially born. And some of our sins are forgiven. We're completely cleansed white, right? Another great metaphor we can, we can think on. Yeah, so when the evening came, after the sun had set, this is another example of where Mark will sometimes repeat something, the same point two different times. This is sort of an example of that. You know, he says, the evening came after the sun had set. So same basic concept, he says it twice. But two here, it is important for Mark to point out to us that in the uh, Jewish, the Jews would call sometimes evening after 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And sometimes they would call evening at sunset. And the Sabbath started at sunset. That was the next day. So Mark's pointing out here that after the sun had set, basically it's when they started carting people to his house so that he could heal them because the, uh, the law said they couldn't do work on the Sabbath. And they interpreted that they couldn't carry people across town. The people who were possessed with demons and who were ill, uh, they waited till the Sabbath was over. They closed the Sabbath. And, uh, and that, so that's when they're bringing people to Jesus. So uh, the point for us is it's, it's nighttime. <clears throat> and Jesus has no doubt had a busy day. And now he's got a whole stream of patients coming to his healing clinic, right? And so he, he was physically probably tired. And we know he, he has an incarnate body, and he was physically tired probably. And... Uh, Again, reinforcing the theme of Mark, you know, suffering servant, Jesus, we do see his humanity and how hard he worked uh, throughout his ministry. So they bring him all who were ill. So probably hyperbole here, but the point is you see the stream of people come into this little house to be cured and healed, a mob, basically. And it just points to us the picture of Jesus' compassion and his tireless work while he was here on earth, a servant. People are being drawn to him. That's another point we see here. It's like a magnet. They're just flocking to this light that is shown up on earth. Uh, so we should show acts of mercy to people even when we're tired. 
that's a sort of principle I wanted to just point out here. It's never really convenient to help other people, right? Almost never. It's almost always going to be a Saturday afternoon you have planned or a Sunday afternoon or something quiet time you just want to have and someone needs your help. And so the lesson for us here is to do that. Our time on earth is pretty short and we ought to take advantage of that time. Even when we're tired, Jesus did it and, and sets an example for us. And so we should show acts of mercy to people and be diligent to do it even when it's not convenient because it's never convenient. If I were Jesus and my sin, you know, if I wasn't Jesus, in that setting, I would say, come back tomorrow. It's been a long day. We'll deal with this tomorrow. I'm tired, <laughs> seriously. But uh, we ought to take advantage of these opportunities and, and really sort of suffer for the Lord, right? Okay. So it's late at night. He heals people. Verse 33, the whole city had gathered at the door. Probably not the whole city, but... A lot of people. He healed many who were ill with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. So, um, again, another example, we've talked about this before. It's not too clear, well, it's not 100% clear why he doesn't want the demons to speak, but we can conjecture. Number one, uh, he doesn't want them to be his witness, right? The devil isn't to be his witness. So I, I think that may be one major reason. He, he is his own witness, and his disciples are his witness. So that's one reason. Second is, uh, we've talked about this too. I think it's possible that the, the devil and the demons were speaking this truth, knowing that a lot of other people didn't like to know. that. And you'll see here the scribes and the Pharisees are offended by what Jesus is doing. So maybe they want to get the news out rapidly to hasten his death. That, that's another theory that I've read, and it, it could be true. Uh, but either way, the point is Jesus uh, does not permit them to speak and has authority over what they say and do. And the other point is they know who he is. They know The demons know more than the disciples often. Okay, so after that busy day of work, healing Peter's mother, having his clinic, and he, healing all those people, maybe dozens or hundreds of people, it says here, verse 35, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. So a lot of application for us here. Just to note, first of all, uh, he got up early. He was probably very tired, and it's hard to get up early. And what motivated him to get up early? Pray. And so he, he wanted that fellowship with the Father. He knew he needed it because of what was ahead and probably what was behind. He went, goes away to a secluded place where he can be alone, which was probably, well, we know, it wasn't easy for him. So he knew that this was a time. Early morning, I have to go away somewhere quiet so I can have fellowship with the Father and pray there. And so it really helps us to see principles on prayer. So what do we take away from that? I've already said it. First of all, we pray. We pray a lot. We ought to pray often. Uh, pray when it's inconvenient because really we can make infinite excuses about prayer. Ah, I'll pray tomorrow. I'll pray tonight. So I'm sure you are all tempted to not pray as I am. So the point is we ought to pray and it's a discipline and we're gonna pr we should pray when it's not convenient to do so. If it means getting up early and you have a headache and you're tired and you don't want to get up, well, we've got to set aside that time to pray because 
that's what Jesus did, and uh, that's how we are to live our Christian life. So we're to pray, pray often, pray when inconvenient, pray when tired, pray in a quiet place. And that is uh, mentioned many times in the New Testament. First of all, you see Jesus. It says uh, he's often slipping away to pray in a secluded place. Um, and Jesus actually rebukes people who pray in high places to be heard by men, their voices. So I think it's a great principle to know that for the most part when we pray, it, it should be quiet and um, not for others to hear. Luke talks about how one time Jesus spent the whole night in prayer. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed on almost all night, but there are other times Luke mentions he spends the whole night in prayer, so it's a motivation to us, and actually an admission, I think, that it is hard to pray, right? It, let's just admit it, it is hard to pray. Sometimes you pray for five minutes, and you think, wow, I'm done. It's five minutes of prayer. So it's hard, and so our, our flesh sometimes doesn't want to do it, and our minds run to other things, but it is vitally important. Jesus' ministry was characterized by prayer, our ministry ought to also. So put that as a high priority in our daily routine. Absolutely, we have to pray often. When you pray, pray this way. So Jesus assumes that we pray. Okay, so Jesus' life was characterized by prayer, and so should ours be. Simon, verse 36. Simon and, and his companions searched for him. And that word... Uh, it means more than searching. They were hunting him down. That's basically what that word means. They were, they were eager, and they were hunting down Jesus. They were so eager to find him. Where are you? Where are you? We've got more people. The clinic's opening soon. You know, basically, that's the impression I get. You, you, uh, they want him. No doubt, they, they want him to come back and do more miracles. Everyone's looking for you. I mean, word had got out. You know, close for the night, but we'll be here in the morning. So, uh, The other point, though, is... You see Jesus' prayer is being interrupted. So to me, I, you see this tension of uh, our desire to do the godly things and pray and be in the word, and two, that you have this tension of the world, and we, and we have to serve other people and serve the world. And boy, Mark just paints that picture of Jesus great through the whole gospel. You see that throughout the difficulty of uh, its quiet times in his spiritual disciplines with the, the needs of serving other people in the world, and that, what a poignant uh, scene you have here to, to see that. It's the first of many, many interruptions that you're going to see in Jesus' life in, the, in this gospel. Many times he'll experience a disruption in what he's doing. Seems like a disruption to us, but it's not. It's God's plan. Uh, so they found him. They said, everyone's looking for you. He said to them in verse 38, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. So this is a really important verse, actually. Um, and it's why he goes to synagogues in every city first to teach and preach the word, right? The words falling from his lips. This is what he's here for, is to preach and teach the gospel. And uh, he's not here to perform miracles primarily. And in fact, you see in Mark that sometimes the miracles are getting in the way of his preaching, which is what you see here. He said, I, I, we're going to go somewhere else because everyone's looking for me to perform miracles. That's not my primary reason I'm here. I'm here to preach and teach. We have to go somewhere else so I can resume my teaching. And if he goes somewhere else, he doesn't go into the marketplace. He goes into the synagogues first. 
emphasizing that point. His primary mission was to teach. The healings and the exorcisms, they were all secondary. And then you'll also see as we go, for, go forth through the book, I know you've already seen it because you've been reading through it every week, right? Yeah. So you'll see that he, um, this pattern, that they'll come seeking him for the miracles. He'll do them for a while, and then he'll leave somewhere else so that he can uh, perform his primary goal, which is to teach and preach. And so the lesson for us is, with our busy life, are we setting aside time to teach others or preach the gospel or witness to other people, or are we too busy with other things? That's an application I came away with this. So let's be careful to not elevate too much our jobs or our hobbies or whatever it is we do through the day that mm, is not as important is directly witnessing for the Lord and directly telling other people about the Lord, preaching, so to speak, and teaching, because we can all do it every day. We can all do it. So testimony really is really preparing for Mark, and I've been blessed a lot in the last weeks, really, um, as I prepare for the study here. And God has blessed me because in my work, I'm a doctor, so I see people, and you can tell this sort of resonates a little bit with me with, with the busyness of, people thinking they need to be healed. And most of the people I see, for the most part, aren't that sick. But the, the reason they're there primarily is for an opportunity to tell them something true, the gospel. And so as I've been praying through that, it's, I've had an amazing couple of weeks. I could, I could spend the day telling you about the people I've been able to witness to and some Christians, some not Christians. And so God's really used this in my life to uh, elevate the priority for what I'm there for, because I'll only be here on earth a few more years, 20, I don't know, 30, but it's short, and I need to spend that time uh, doing the eternal things and not worry so much about um, the material. And I think Jesus' example here is for us too, to keep that perspective. Any other questions on that? that uh, observation of Jesus? Clearly, the disciples want him to keep doing the miracles. And when you read through John, too, you can see it. They, they, they love the miracles and the healings and the feedings and the turning the water into wine. They love that stuff. And then when the hard teaching comes, they'll tend to turn away. But that's what we're here for. I guess I have one question. So if everyone is looking for you and then he goes and goes to the next town, did he not stay? He went to the next town. Right. I think that makes the point. Uh, so his insight was a lot better than ours. Maybe he knew. Well, he knew what he was here for was to teach. And at that point, that teaching ministry wasn't is available there, and it's gonna it's available somewhere else. Uh, and one of the commentators I read actually also said. <laughs> Think of it this way. Uh, don't hunker down. Uh, Jesus is making the point here, this is for the entire world, right? So he, he can't just sit there in that city forever healing people. He's got to go to other cities. Other people have to hear the truth and be saved. So um, he's mobile. He's, he's getting his message out is, and moving from town to town.
Yes. That's right. So it does challenge us when we, if we're tempted to think, how could he do that? All those paralytics that he could have healed there in that town. And he says it's more important to preach the word that helps us reorient into the unseen, the eternal, the gospel is what is to be preached above everything else. Yes. Exactly. Right, and he's got to reorient them, and reorient the disciples too. Here's the example for the disciples: the most important thing is the gospel word message going out. Yep. So. To answer your question, verse 39, and he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. So even though he leaves some of those behind, other cities he's visiting, he's also casting out demons and, and healings too, because the next verse we'll look at is the healing of the leper. <coughs> the song we sang today, Power to Change the Leopard's Spots. I thought of that. So wow, great. We're going to teach on that today. A uh, lot of demons to cast out and a lot of physical ailments. And we do have time. We'll, we'll talk about the healing of the leper here, and then that'll be perfect because next week we can get to chapter 2. But we'll just talk about the leper. So as you know, the lepers, of course, had a special stigma attached to them, which is they were particularly dirty, particularly unclean, and sinful. They, the people thought leper was sin. Okay, they, as they thought about most illnesses, that probably there's a sin there, and that's not true. Remember when Jesus heals the blind man in John 9, and uh, who sinned, this man or his parents? He said neither sinned. This is this was for the glory of God to show His power. So there's lots of reasons people are sick. I can give a lecture on that too. But the reason, <laughs> the reason. Uh, uh, that blind person was blind was so that God could be glorified, period, not because he sinned. But for the leper, there was that special stigma. And the leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him. So you see the posture of this guy. And Jesus had compassion on him, wouldn't you? And back then, this probably was a true leper. Leprosy, actually, in the Bible, probably um, may have meant a couple different things. Sometimes it meant true leprosy, which is this disease that we can now treat with antibiotics, but basically severe rash and disfigurement. Your nerves were affected, and you were really disfigured, and they were sort of grotesque over the years, and they looked pitiful, and it was contagious. So, of course, they were cast aside as unclean. So here you have this, this, this pitiful, wrinkled, rash, ugly guy coming up, 
falling on his knees and beseeching Jesus, of course he's going to have compassion on him. Of course. And in his humility, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So just completely humble. At the end of his rope, he heard of the miracles. He was just hoping, hoping if he would be made clean by the Lord. And so the Jewish law says you can't touch a leper. And so this guy, I, I, I imagine the guy may have grabbed him at the knees. I don't know. But the point is, in verse 41, he was moved with compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. So here's another picture of Jesus sort of destroying some of the legal requirements of the law. Because there's a transition here, right? He, there's some things that are going to change. And so he helped this guy socially. Everyone, no doubt, there's a huge crowd around. They see this miracle worker touching a leper, and then he's going to be healed. So that, that sends a very powerful uh, image to those people around him. Moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And then here's Mark's favorite word. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So, physical healing. Uh, we know because of other teaching in the Bible that this has spiritual overtones, right? Cleansing of our sins. But he was physically cleansed here. Uh, immediately, the leprosy left him. And then, again, he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And, of course, he obeys him and doesn't tell anyone. Uh, that's not what he does. That's not what anyone does who's healed of leprosy for all their life. He can't help it. He can't help it but just jump for joy and tell everyone. And uh, everyone in the town would have known anyway, right? They would have seen it. He, he grew up in that town. So the point is he doesn't obey Jesus. Um, and it's interesting here in, in verse 44, he says, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So if you read Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, you see uh, the law about what you're to do for a leper. There, there's, uh, it's complicated, but you know, seven days of purification, then you come back, and if it's healed, or if the skin is a certain color white, and the hair looks a certain way, there's a lot of detailed ways to handle kinds of skin rashes and leprosy. And so Jesus, on the one hand, defies the law, by touching the guy. On the other hand, he says, well, I want you to still obey the law. Go to the leaders and uh, what, do what Moses commanded. Go to the priests and, do, and follow the law as a testimony to them. I think he's saying as a testimony to the priests. Uh, so I want them to see you know, what, what's happened here and uh, obey the law. So I don't quite understand that, actually, in the commentaries I read. didn't clarify it, but as I see it, I think you're in this transition time where Jesus is... Um, showing that a lot of the, the sacrificial system is going to be over. It's going to be gone. Yet at the same time, showing respect to the law. Any other comments on that? Well, it, I have a question. Go ahead. I heard one time, and you're a doctor, so maybe you can shed light on this, that leprosy wasn't cured like most of the time. And because, so somebody told me that uh, this would be one of the first times that a priest would have ever had even opened Leviticus 13. You know what I mean? But like, oh. you know, I don't know how legitimate that is, but... And then, uh, I mean, if you take that, I mean, if that is true, the leprosy wasn't often healed or you didn't often see remission, you know, and then all of a sudden this leprous person comes walking perfectly clean. Yeah. And they're looking at that. I mean, it, it would almost be like that was just in the law 
for the purpose of this is the only time it happened when Messiah comes. Mm. Uh, well, I do know back then leprosy was not curable. Yeah. Absolutely so not. I mean, in the law is kind of silly because it's not curable anyway. So why would it have to do this for cleansing? And then so that would just be like, right. Messiah must be here because leprosy is being cured. Well, I yes, it's, right. So, that, so basically, this is a signal Jesus is sending yeah, to them. Leviticus 13 and 14 was like Messiah text. Uh-huh. It's so interesting. Yeah, I, I, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, if there was some confusion, like sometimes it wasn't truly leprosy, though. I guess sometimes they thought it might have been healed. Like they thought someone had leprosy, but it actually wasn't. It's possible. Yeah, because I know that they did use the lep- leprosy, that word is used to describe other rashes, not this this infection of leprosy, true leprosy. In any event, he, he doesn't obey him, and, and he just goes on uh, and tells everyone, rejoices, no doubt, that he was healed. And in verse 45, we'll finish with that, uh, but he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city stayed out in unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere again another great image of mark Uh, so many people he can't even really function this mob scene and he he constantly has to go out into these unpopulated areas but even that isn't i mean even that is drawing the people right so it's just a wonderful picture of the power of the Holy Spirit and God and his miracles and how different he was from anything that had ever, ever come. This eruption on the scene of <coughs> Jesus Christ, Son of God, was there. And, and God's using that, coming to him from everywhere. Any other thoughts? I think we'll end here because chapter 2, read it this week because uh, you'll see that it pivots from chapter 1. It's, it's interesting. You'll see, um, I'll give you a little preview. You start to see the opposition. So far, there isn't really any opposition, right? Miracles, people are flocking to him. Um, but you'll, you'll see in chapter 2 that the scribes and the Pharisees start to get skeptical of Jesus and start to ask questions about him. And um, so just pay attention to that as you read it. The opposition so far, Jesus has had, is only the demons, really. They they're clearly don't like Jesus' uh, casting them out of people that they're possessing. So you have the opposition of the spiritual world in chapter 1. You have a little opposition of the actual crowds. seem to be inhibiting him a little bit. But it's different. When you get to chapter 2, you start to see the uh, very overt opposition from mainly the scribes and Pharisees. All right, any questions or thoughts or comments? All right, well, thanks for coming. And don't forget to take a brochure if you have any interest in that golf tournament. Jonna has them back there. We'll see you next week.